Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. This is Bilal Zaidi and we've got the NIA boys here. Trunk fan, lead writer, the hustle, me, Master Flex himself. And we've got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualized Value. It's a Christmas period, boys. What's going on? Well, by the time this comes out, it's going to be Christmas will be a, a past, right? And we're all looking That's at the true. new year. That fresh That's new true. year. 2022 is going to be exactly Hawaii. the same. It's yes, gonna sir. It's going to be your you year, a Trunk. <laughs> Um, All right, hold you on. You got a little tan, you right? Get... You got a little, little well, top, dude, top tan. Well, dude, does it look? How does it look? Does it look, it look tanning? Looking crispy. You're glowing. You're glowing, mate. Okay, I'm glowing. Looking um, like me, bruv. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that island life, son. I, I, I get it. It's just so good, man. It's just so much better. I'm like, you're off your phone. It turns out you can't bring your phone into the ocean. So you're off of it and you don't have to deal with Waterproof the dopamine phone stuff. trunk. What are you <laughs> I actually uh, I surfed for the first time, which is great. I used to I, I paddleboarded before, been on the been on boards on the water, but never surfed. God, it is it's glorious, man. Surfing is glorious. Living and, a good uh, life. You before, got stood up strong, yeah. Like, I, so well, the thing was at our hotel. You go there, it's like, hey, I want to surf. I had no idea what to expect. I don't know what the the rules are for learning. I'm like, listen, I'll be pretty choked if I don't get up the first time. They're like, listen, if you don't get up, it's free. They said that straight up. It's like, if you don't get up, you get a refund. So Whoa, I got out. I like that. Like that, the guy was very good. He's like, listen, it's not that difficult. The, the hardest part is paddling out, right? If you ever surfed, it's like just paddling out to where the waves are breaking is actually literally the physically the hardest part um, because they hold your hand. In other words, right? They, they tell you exactly where the break happens. And then it's just like four steps you got to do. Um, not to say that surfing is easy. I see how hard it is, but like getting up, it's not the hardest thing. Paddling out is the hardest. Having said that, I, before, I, yeah, I just want to say before Opie Morn Hawaii, because I did want to drop some more notes. Honolulu, man, Vegas on the beach. It's incredible. It's just, I, I've been, a, I've never been to Honolulu. I've been to Maui. Have you guys been to either of Maui? No, or Honolulu? I haven't been either. So Maui is Maui's like, like casino, more, casino life. There's not, there's no casino, but there's like a strip. And it's oh, like, got uh, it, got it. and, uh, and you know, like, some Americans that the, the, you know, the, the character of an American likes to enjoy a little bit too much food and then kind of like, isn't super cultured. End up like, a senior frogs. But bro, so like Maui is more of like a resort where you don't get the energy, but Honolulu, like you're in the city. Like Honolulu is the biggest city in Hawaii. It's the biggest city in uh, the whole uh, Oceania outside of like Australia and New Zealand. And uh, I think it's like 400,000 people. It's a full on city. Uh, that's where all, that's where Pearl Harbor, the Pearl Harbor attack happened. I can talk about that later. Fun but, uh, fact, fan. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before we get into that, I want to ask you guys where you are and why you're wearing beanies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm freezing in London and uh, you can see I've got the handheld. That's when you know I'm not in my <laughs> office. So if you ever see that, I'm in London right now. I was supposed to be in Paris next week, but that obviously got canceled with what's going on. And I think, Jack, you're still, still stateside, right? Mm. I'm in a co-working space. Undisclosed tell us, location. Tell us more. Wait, undisclosed? Undisclosed yeah. city? Okay. We don't know. No, I'm, in, well, I'm, I'm in Atlanta at the moment for the holiday season. Okay. But, uh, this uh, co-working space sick. Co-working <laughs> space was like, uh, I don't know, man. It was uh, maybe a cry for help. Get a month, uh, a month of a co-working space. There was all these pre-COVID restrictions in the co-working space. So you had an office of your own because of COVID. And then the restrictions lifted two weeks ago. So then it was a hot desk set up in, uh, you know, you're paying 900 bucks a month to sit in basically the reception desk in the co-working space. <laughs> I was about to cancel my membership. And now uh, 
it all got resolved recently. So uh, we're back at it, mate. A little bit of focus. This place is completely derelict. There was nobody I was going to say, it looked like you got the whole place to yourself, man. you got the whole there, office. This is just a hack everyone's looking for. You, just, yeah. you don't yeah. rent a place anymore. You just get a co-working space and no one turns up. So Exactly uh, right. Jack, how far are you from your place? Of, uh, don't tell me. Let's keep that cryptic. I just wanted to know how, if the commute was worth it. Is yeah, the commute uh, yeah, worth it's, it? Yeah, it's insignificant. Let's call it that. Okay, okay. Because I'm not an office guy. I can do everything at home, but it seems like uh, Jack here needs that extra focus. I need to change the scenery now and again, man. I do. So uh, that's why I'm in Trung, there, Trung gets his best exactly. work done with his Christmas pants on as he's wearing it right now. We, we got a little flash earlier. So. <laughs> Yeah, but hold on a second. So you're about to go to Paris, uh, Omicron or Omicron fears. Is it, are you yeah. not allowed to go? Are yeah, we're not allowed case? to go slash probably not worth it because you have to take about 17 tests and I'd rather just uh, chill here. So we're hoping just to stay here for the rest of the holiday period, man. Yeah. Seeing friends and fam, normal stuff. But hopefully they don't shut it down. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. How long are you in uh, the UK until? Just till the new year, man. Okay, yeah. oh, you've been traveling yeah. quite a bit on the, the NI on the NIA circuit, man. You've been carrying for the listeners. Life, bro. Malau has that. A, <laughs> a microphone. He's got a dusty looking microphone. This is the classic one. All right, so let's let people know what's going on today. Look, we're going to be talking about Jack Dorsey setting Twitter alight over the last week. <laughs> it was the Web three beef we were all looking at, looking out for. We got in one corner Jack Dorsey. We got Chris Dixon another. Balaji coming in, little WWE David action. Sachs was in there. David Sachs, David Sachs, Sachs the was action. in there. Exactly. There was a lot going on. So we're going to break that down. But more importantly, zoom out and talk a little bit more about what it actually means. And uh, yeah, the wider scope of that. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about the difference between tokens versus equity. This is something that is related, but has come up quite a bit recently. Um, when VCs invest in a company or a founder starts a company, they're often locked in. And nowadays with, with crypto around, you can have tokens, which has instant liquidity. So we're going to talk about kind of the pros and cons of that and if we think it's, it's good or bad. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about Silicon Valley talent leaving for crypto. Uh, a lot of people leaving from big tech. And this, again, is all wrapped up into this. And if we get to it, we'll talk about some of the worst predictions of all time for some fun, <laughs> fun fact fan. Um, so, boys, where should we kick this off? I think probably the best place to start is give a background on what triggered Jack Dorsey, because he was on one in the last few days. Um, well, it'll be last week by the time you guys are listening to this. So I'll just read out the first tweet that I think really kicked it off. He said, you don't own Web3. The VCs and the LPs do. It will never escape the incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into, dot, dot, dot. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Trung, I know you, you'd been following this quite closely. Um, was there anything else we missed out for context people should know? No, so let me throw my mini theory that I'm going to let uh, you guys take on some of these beefs you mentioned, or not beefs, but like exchanges with Balaji and Chris Dixon. Definitely beef, uh, bro. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> let's not miss words, right? It's not Biggie Smalls, what's beef, but it's, uh, it's as close <laughs> as it gets in, in Twitter world. In yeah. Twitter world. Well, oh my goodness. Well, what's funny is I actually put a, uh, I put a, a meme up yesterday of uh, 
of you know, Bruce Banner and uh, turning into the Hulk. And it's like uh, Jack Dorsey in November is Bruce Banner and then Jack Dorsey in December is the Hulk. David Sachs actually quote retweeted that. And he said, yeah, I poked the bear and like this angry like bear, uh, beast came after me. And I think he did it in a jokey manner, but we talked about that. So I think this is what triggered it. Over the weekend, Christopher Mims, which is like a really well-known reporter from the Wall Street Journal, wrote an article called Jack Dorsey and the Unlikely Revolutionaries Who Want to Reboot the Internet. And he basically tied Jack Dorsey or made him the face of Web3, which for us in the yeah. circle, we all know is a bit absurd. If you'd listen to Jack Butcher a couple of weeks ago, he's like, I think that Blocks uh, is trying to build a complete competitor to this kind of Ethereum ecosystem, Ethereum ecosystem. And uh, so shortly after like Jack went off on this tirade, Man, Unleash Jack is unreal, by the way. Uh, he, he responded to that, posted, right? He responded yeah, so to that on Twitter. It. Well, what happened with it? So he responded to it after he kind of started this beef. But basically what happened was he started this beef for Web3 that you alluded to with that tweet. It's like Web3 is owned by the VCs and the LPs. And then somebody took the screenshot of that Wall Street Journal article and basically tried to dunk on Jack Dorsey being like, you're calling out Web3, but like, this article just says you're the face of Web3. And then he replied to that tweet with, I have nothing to do with Web3. He puts it in quotation marks because he obviously thinks the whole thing's a joke. WSJ and others need names and photos to generate clicks. So that that's the premise. I think this article triggered him. And uh, and that the, his response to somebody posting that as a dunk on him seems to suggest that. So I'll leave it there. If you guys want to take off what some of these beefs and like uh, back and forth like i don't even know if web 3 was a term when we st first started recording this podcast you boys remember yeah was it i'm not Yo, sure that is a great question good question i can't remember I'm not sure. but it's a, we talked about the metaverse meme and the facebook rebrand as like get behind this meme that is you know shorthand for basically what's happening next on the internet right and i think like web3 has gotten to a point where it's got that amount of gravity surrounding it where everybody who is looking at where things are going is using this as like a catch-all term and i think just in general that's kind of a dumb bias that we have as people right it's like we're looking for a way to like produce these cognitive shortcuts that Oh, I say this term and everybody knows what I mean. Everybody knows what I'm referring to. And the I think the real like the real truth is somewhere in between. It's like, yeah, it's good to have these shorthand things that can like unite people behind a cause, but there's also like it vacuums up so much of the nuance. And I think that is like kind of the problem is trying to put a label on this thing that is bigger than um bigger than any one protocol, bigger than any one um, like investor or VC firm or whatever else. But the loudest proponents of it, I think that's who D Dorsey's been calling out, right? It's like the yeah. people who, have, who, have, who are defining this term in the minds of many people, arguably 80, 90% of the people who are like responsible for building it or involved in it in some way. So I don't know. I think like this is like almost like a semantic argument and like so much is like lost in just mapping all of this stuff to under that term that we don't even really know what we're arguing about or what we're talking about at this yeah. point. So that's kind of, that's how I come at it. And I don't 
have like a strong opinion on who is even right or wrong because who's even agreeing on what the definition is or what, what are we agreeing yeah, on the definition is. Maybe, that, maybe Jack Dorsey's point is there is no definition, right? We can't, yeah. we, like there's no reason for you to use this term to market X, Y, or Z. And then I think rebranding from like crypto to Web3 has actually been like a, probably a net positive for like talent migration to the space, right? It's like, it softens the like, Bitcoin miner in the basement doing, you know, nefarious activity, buying shit on Silk Road. It's like, no, no, it's Web3 now. Like, leave your job at Google yeah, and like Facebook and come back on Web3. Of, from Web1, 2, 3, it makes more, like, logical sense. It's more palatable for people who were, like, less um, attracted to it in the first place. But, Trung, you probably shed some light on how that article frames it up. Um, did, I don't even know if they use the term... Web. Oh, they do use the term Web three. Yeah, they right? use the term Web three. I think so. I think uh, what uh, I I think you're exactly right is this the idea of the definition of what even is Web three? Because he uh, Jack mentions in a number of his tweets that he thinks it's all a distraction because at the end of the day he is a Bitcoin maximalist, right? Like we talked about, he's like he is a believer in Bitcoin. When was asked when asked what other coins he owned, he said only Bitcoin. And he's working on the Lightning Network, which makes the utility of Bitcoin much better uh, than, you know, just quote unquote digital gold. But so somebody wrote here uh, on his tweet, he, he goes, the guy's name's Ajit and Ajit writes, Jack is pointing out the risk we should acknowledge. It may not be what we want to hear, but the risk of economic centralization of prime Web3 properties is very real. And Jack says, exactly. And then his exchange with Chris Dixon is very important here, I think, because he calls out Chris Dixon a couple of times. He says, Chris Dixon basically did the Gandhi quote, which isn't even a Gandhi quote. And he says to the effect of, you know, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, uh, then you win, like that quote. And Jack Dorsey responded to that. He's like, listen, man, it's like, you're like a, a, a basically a media company that monetizes via venture. You're not Gandhi. That's what he wrote. Dixon actually replied to that. He's like, you're, yeah, you're right. You know, fair enough. I probably shouldn't have used that. But I think the point of that exchange was this is like, Andreessen is attaching themselves to Web3, right? Like very clearly. They, outside of Paradigm, uh, uh, Matt Huang and Fred Ersam's fund have the biggest crypto fund. And they're invested in, you know, anything of note, Dapper Labs, they're one of the biggest investors. Axie Infinity, they're one of the biggest investors. OpenSea, they're one of the biggest investors. Foundation, uh, Mir, they're Uniswap, spread their yeah. money. Uniswap, their money is all across. So I think, I don't know if Jack Dorsey is calling out directly Andreessen, but Andreessen is one of the two most prominent investors in quote unquote crypto right now, right? And so I think that sets the framework for, Jack Dorsey is calling out the entire venture ecosystem for distracting from what is the point of decentralization? I think he's trying to get to, where is the point of Bitcoin? He says that Bitcoin can actually, you know, I think we talked about it, Bilal, you brought it up a couple of weeks ago, uh, months ago. It was like, he made a tweet basically like Bitcoin can like save humanity or like stop world wars or bring peace. Yeah. Like, he actually believes that, right? But that's what's like, interesting, Trunk, just to add to what you're saying there yeah. is he's calling out, let's say VCs for using this, language which i agree with right like this is not a web 3 2021 2022 problem you go back to 2008 web 2.0 you go way before exactly. that steve jobs 
they, the whole thing with Silicon Valley was built on we're changing the world, like this yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah. And you can argue if they change the world or not. Obviously, they have in some way, but it was often said with this kind of like self righteousness, which a yep. lot, which turned a lot of people off, including me. And I think the funny thing is with Jack Dorsey. Obviously, we have a lot of respect for him and what he's built and stuff, but he's rightly calling out say chris dixon in that way but like like you said a few months ago he's using the same language about saving the world from wars talking about bitcoin and he might have a point like money does play a role in all of these things but you can definitely say that's way that's that's a stretch for a lot of people to understand that jump and he's using a similar sort of logic so to me he's really coming at it from like that angle which is he really truly believes this stuff, which I which I think is fair enough. But I just think he's he's kind of creating an enemy and saying like like look at the VCs like pointing fingers, which is hilarious because he's built a company funded by VCs and then two. funded by public to, to, exactly. And this is kind of my larger point and something with, that's come up on on the show before is like even with my other podcast, like the reason I do a podcast long form is because I like nuance and Twitter, yeah. as you know, is not really made for nuance, right? It's about black and white takes most of the time. And this requires a lot of nuance to have this conversation. And I don't think he truly believes like VCs are evil or anything like that, but he's, he's like painting a picture in tweet form of this easy narrative for people to get yeah. behind. And, and so right. I think in this case, it, for me, it's, it seems like it's coming across very much like, oh, well, you guys are owning this new thing and I want to build something else. And and that's kind of the question. Is is he, uh, What are his incentives at this moment? You know what I mean? You actually want to know what's hilarious is I think what you said is so true. Is like 280 characters. First of all, to Jack or Jack Butcher's original point is like, what even is Web3? I have no... If you yeah. <laughs> Like uh, Nikita Breer, which is a h- hilarious, you know, he's like, he's like, if you put a gun to my head and ask me what Web3 was, you know, tell my wife I love her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, you can't explain this, right? So one of Jack Dorsey's uh, comebacks to a lot of these uh, accounts that had been hitting him up with a lot of like gibberish, even CZ, the Binance guy, replied to his thing. He's like, we... You know, we got to fix everything on the blockchain, decentralized, and like it's all buzzwords. And then Jack Dorsey just writes words. Words, period. yeah, that so was he pretty did it Three or four times. <laughs> Every time somebody t- tried to explain what, like, they're saying what their vision of Web three was, he just wrote words. So, like, in one way, it's like I think he's annoyed about all these buzzwords. But then when you read his replies, a lot of people they're just buzzwords. Also, he's they're like, also we buzzwords. Need to, yeah, we need to fix the fundamental problem of decent. Anyways, it's just so wild, right? Maybe there's a mistake on the Web3 side, like the obviously the Bitcoin value proposition is like more skewed to decentralization, independence, like, you know, the, the idea of separating money and state, all of those things. I think like if someone had a gun to my head and asked me like, what is Web3? <laughs> Celia, I love I, you. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, I think the like, it's an extra it's an extra design layer on top of like a you know the internet as we knew it two or three years ago like you have the opportunity to d- design incentives into a product or a protocol like you can design a market to go along with this thing without permission like before if you wanted to make something that like moved money instantly between parties on web two it's like one there's like a really difficult legal like 
precedents that you have to abide by and structures and things of that nature. So it's basically like a design layer. And then to like conflate that with like saving the world through decentralization, I think is like you're trying to do too many things at once. You get what I'm saying? Like there's plenty of amazing products and businesses that have been built with central control. Yeah. And and, and my, my like, like yeah, <laughs> Twitter is a good example. <laughs> and like, if you like, I think you're talking about decentralization in the context of the individual applications, not the whole network. Does that make yeah. sense? Like is if there's a, application built on top of bitcoin and someone owns 51 percent of the supply of the bitcoin that controls that application that's not decentralized right yeah by that definition so i think this is where the whole argument gets really like muddy and messy is I'm, and i'm not taking anybody's side here i'm just trying to outline how i see it is the I think the thing that people get, I think the thing that people are getting frustrated about is that they assume that you're trying to make the argument that this is better in every single way. Like, yeah, it accomplishes, it checks every single box, and like neither of neither sides of the scenario or neither solution is doing that. Um, so I'm, maybe that's a little wishy-washy explanation, but that feels to me like the fundamental. Problem well, let's go here. to the Bilal Zaidi, uh, Bilal Zaidi question. I was asked, it's like, why a DAO? Like, you know, the Bilal Zaidi, it's like, why a DAO? I think that gets there, right? Jack Zebra, right? It's like, why is this better than the existing thing? And but yeah, apply that to so. basically all Web3 applications. I think so. And it's also like, how do you measure it at this point in time as well? Like, you're trying to like measure this thing against products and businesses that have been around for decades and say like, well, this isn't as mature or good as that. And it's like, Okay, well, we've only just uh, started playing around with this layer of incentive design and it's showing a lot of promise. Guess what? The first executions are it, of it are like people selling monkey pictures to each other. <laughs> Probably not the most sustainable or like brilliant use of the technology, but it is something that didn't exist before that design yeah. layer was like open and accessible to a lot of people. And so, boy, just one thing to add. I think, Trung, you brought up a great point from my previous line of questioning i guess and similar i would adapt it for this which is um instead of dow versus llc or why bitcoin or whatever in this case is why decentralized right and right. and what is the point of decentralized and does it always need to be uh, decentralized and then the second step to that logic is how decentralized because they're yeah. both decentralized, as in they are not fiat currencies and they're not, you know, run by the government or printed by a government as a central entity. Um, and there's arguments to be had on all of these sides, right? Like even Bitcoin, uh, I saw someone post this um, yesterday. Something I don't know the number off the top of my head, but the percentage of people who own the most of the Bitcoin is is also an astronomically high amount, right? Because people who are early, including Satoshi and others. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you compare that to like fiat currencies, apparently from what this unverified tweet, which I didn't dig into, like you could argue that it's even more centralized no, than the money so. system. Blah, Did someone just that. Somebody, that? Somebody. Well, I think you're broadly correct, but they said that some of those accounts that they attribute to, like they're like, oh, this account owns 5% of all Bitcoin. And they're it's like dead accounts. It's an, it's oh, an exchange. exchange. It's like Coinbase, Finance. So like if you were if you're to tease out individuals, it's probably less. Having said that, 
there's clearly this skew where it's like the wealth inequality, right? Completely, there's a Bitcoin yeah. inequality. Um, yeah. And this this uh, inequality, and like, I'm not saying I'm against that, but like that is people who took a risk, bought something, held it is one take. Another yeah. take is a more cynical take is they were early. There was a, a huge amount of luck involved, etc. And, you know, it's the same take when we look at society and say billionaires and people who've worked hard to save money and create wealth versus people who had it passed down to them from their parents, etc. Yeah. So it's not like evil or is completely right or wrong. It's more a question of what's the use case and how decentralized does it need to be? Does it need to be decentralized and on the blockchain at all? Yes or no, like a decision tree? Okay, yes. Does it need to be digital gold and the most secure thing? Great. Bitcoin covers that. If it's, oh, there's, there's other pros and cons of like an Ethereum, Solana, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting debate. I'm just going to read out one thing. Chris Dixon responded specifically and said, in Web3, all the code, data, and ownership is open source. Read it and decide for yourself. VCs, including A16Z, own very little of it. Um, so that what was one. Say? And then uh, he didn't respond to that one. And then the other thing I'll just mention is Balaji wrote, I res responding to Jack's I original this. tweet. This is great. What, the I respect you, this one? Yeah. Uh, he said, I respect you and everything you've built. I also disagree here. <laughs> Twitter started as a protocol, the, the free speech wing of the free speech party, then corporate and political incentives led to deplatforming and censorship. Web3 offers the possibility, not guarantee, of something better. And then Jack responded, all force, Twitter started as a corporation, it's had, a corp it's had corporate incentives from day one, it's trying to offset those, and it will through Blue Sky. Web3 is the same corporate incentives, but hides it under decentralization. It's literally a different cap table structure, which is fair enough. So that, those were the other ones to call out, because I think that kind of covers off, you know, again, these kind of different angles. Um, Let me actually address the Balaji thing. There's one more tweet, because I think the, uh, the Twitter part is interesting, because a lot of people have been trying to dunk on Jack Dorsey by like, I, I think you guys posted in the chat, like somebody put... Here are the top 10 owners of Twitter, right? It's all institutional funds. It's like, it's like, it's not like it's a community led thing either, right? But uh, so Balaji's point to try to, you know, I think I mean, Balaji is clearly trying to show that there's more similarities in different frame. Yeah. Yeah. He started saying, you know what, uh, Jack, we're like pretty similar right now. And uh, the reason why I think he brought up Twitter was because early Twitter was very, you know, as I said, the free uh, speech wing of the uh, free speech party. But the Balaji calling it a protocol first was wrong, but he pointed out later, Balaji's like, okay, you know, it did start as a corporation. But what I meant by protocol was that Twitter used to have an API that was very open and anyone yeah. could do anything with it, right? I mean, I mean, I mean you, Bilal, you probably remember that. In the yeah, late they closed 2000s, it off like, there was like tweet deck and like hundreds yeah. of apps were made on it. You can do it. everything, right? They're trying to redo that limited. with this blue sky, basically, right? They're trying yeah. to recreate this protocol where anyone can spit up a social network, which we've discussed in the past. So I think Balaji is trying to demonstrate, he's like, hey, listen, it's like, you, you know, you've seen what happens when you build something from decentralization and it, it starts centralizing over time. Like Twitter is the example, right? Twitter, obviously, as we joked about recently, is like, uh, the new CEO is just booting the accounts off left, right, and center. And uh, Balaji, and to Balaji's point, is that he wants true decentralization. We know Balaji is all about the decentralization life. But the last thing I'll add here, because I think Jack wants to throw in a point, was uh, Balaji is bringing up, you know, what at the end of the day, what does Jack Dorsey want? Let's go to first principles. As a Bitcoin maxi, this is what Jack Dorsey wants. He wants financial freedom for the world. And he believes 
a decentralized digital coin, which is literally Bitcoin, can provide that. And then I think we have to add the Michael Saylor part in here. Why is Bitcoin able to do that? Because of, you know, you throw this physics stuff, like the Jack Butcher line, the encrypted wall of energy, right? It's like, why is Bitcoin the most secure? Why is Bitcoin the most likely to be the store of value 100 years out and protect us from money printing governments? It's because of the way it's built, it's designed, and all the incentives of all the parties. Jack Dorsey clearly subscribes to that view. And he thinks all this other stuff is a distraction. And the, uh, 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 the last thing I'll add is that he literally says that. He, re- he replied to Mike Solana, the head of comms at Founders Fund. And he said, I'm concerned to see the industry, which he puts in quotations, be distracted under false pretenses when we could all be working on things that have a real chance of fixing the issue. So what has a real chance of fixing it? Let's secure the Bitcoin network. Let's make Bitcoin the store of value for the entire world, the, the digital gold, the currency for the internet, right? He said it before, I want Bitcoin to be the currency for the internet. Let's secure that before, as Jack Butcher mentioned, you know, experimenting and finding out that apes is the best use of NFTs or, you know, constitutions are the best use of DAOs. Maybe let's secure the foundation, the Michael Saylor move, secure the foundation, set the rules of the universe right before we start doing all this other stuff. So I think that's kind of where Dorsey's at. But I think Jack's got some thoughts. I don't know. The inevitability of Bitcoin is like a, a funny meme in the same way that every other like monetary instrument is a meme that relies on people believing it for it to come true, right? And the, I think the really, I think that Bitcoin, like the frustration that's coming out of the Bitcoin community is like the volume of transactions and use that is happening on these other networks. And I think yeah. that gets buried in like yes but it's all pointless right like all this stuff is completely pointless and i think maybe there's some merit to that criticism but it's also um there's an irony in like talking about that on social right it's like the you know my digital signals are worth something i'm projecting my opinion as something that people should pay attention to but these things that people are paying these digital signals that people are valuing with currency are worthless. It's like, it's all a religious argument on both sides all the way down. I mean, I, I feel like people are a lot smarter than me that are making these arguments that must be playing some like meta layered game. Like, I don't think they're sitting there like seething behind the keyboard, like reactionary, but sometimes reading this stuff that kind of proves my thesis wrong. It's like, why are you even arguing about this shit? Yeah. Like if you think it's like build something that is better. Like there's a really interesting like signal that goes out when people start lashing out about these things. And, you know, there was a catalyst for the Jack Dorsey thing that he's being lumped in, in the media and wants to set the record straight makes total sense. Right. Um, but there's an, another obvious narrative where like everybody's just pumping their own bags in perpetuity. <laughs> like that's just the whole, that's yeah. the whole that's how the world functions, right? And I think some Have of this stuff you ever watched CNBC? Is, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and then like people who kind of almost are being dishonest by not recognizing the fact that like the Pareto principle is a law of nature, right? Like this monetary instrument is going to be more fair than that monetary instrument. Um, and the dependency is to get everyone to believe in it where i think like bitcoin has had a tougher road than these protocols that have just made things 
interesting and fun and had people just get involved and like play around in a digital economy. And the Bitcoin meme is just stalling because it's like, guys, we need to buy this and hold on to it and wait for the yeah. world to be saved, right? And that's just a really <laughs> hard thing for people to get their it's head around. It's not exciting compared to yeah. buy I mean, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> well, exactly. You know, we've had these conversations 37 times at this point, like comes up pretty much every single podcast. And the assumption is you listen to people that are involved in this deploying billions of dollars and think that they have like some argument that's like 10 times more gold plated than yours. And the truth is nobody has a fucking clue what they're talking about. <laughs> So Someone they have a big platform. this right now. This is a. <laughs> there, there's, this is there true. are big platforms that come from like being really articulate. Like maybe with the exception, like people are very articulate and they make great arguments and they can like see into the future. But at the same time, your ability to see into the future and articulate it is actually shaping the future, right? Like yeah. some people think about this as like this is going to happen and we just wait and it gets there. It's like no, your ability to tell the story, where we end up. You always talk about it. Sailor is an incredible spokesperson because he brings the idea of Bitcoin to the physical reality, right? Mm -hmm. he, he grounds it in physics, which actually is physics, the law of physics, right? This isn't his opinion. That's the way he frames it is very smart. But you know what's interesting? Like maybe you could say the, there's like a fear and greed index on these narratives. And I would say right now, Bitcoin is, is more weighed into fear. Yeah, and like that will attract a certain type of person and it would like drum up a certain type of support and all of these like exploding networks and vc dollars and like gold rush narrative is the is the greed side of the spectrum less of the fear side right like i'm going to yeah. get a thousand rolls of the dice so i'll try this protocol and that protocol and this nft collection is that productive probably not but is the other side of it it's just a really complicated issue and i think wrapping it in like buzzwords that don't communicate anyone's perspective. Like, I think Balaji's doing the best Balaji's yeah. doing the best job of like unpacking the argument. Yeah. Those um, five hour podcasts are no, exactly. doing right? those for that reason. Because that's the only the reason Joe Rogan became the number one podcast platform basically not just podcast platform media platform basically in the world is because he gave space to people to talk about stuff you couldn't do in another mm -hmm. arena mm -hmm. uncut yeah. for four hours sometimes sometimes they're going to talk about dumb shit sometimes they're going to get high on screen but other times they're talking about like deep nutrition science and the, the mars and like space and stuff like that so um just to add to what you guys were saying there i did want to add I agree that obviously there's a lot of like bullshit and, um, you know, a lot of the NFT stuff is a lot for fun and speculation, et cetera. But to me, the, the, what really hooked me in the last year was logging on to a, you know, a decentralized platform where I could lend out my money to someone else. And yeah. that seems like the most boring thing, right? <laughs> red but pilled. Red, red pilled. pilled. I saw it and I'm like, oh, wait, okay. So I'm now the bank. I'm now the money exchange <laughs> when I step out at Paris airport and I get bumped for yeah. the euro, right? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense to me. It's no longer this one big company or five big banks. It's me and a million other people with $1,000, $10,000. And that made sense to me. And, and to me, that's not just on Ethereum. It's on, it's on Solana. People are doing it. There's people building stuff on Terra and, and these other kind of layer ones. And there are people trying to do that stuff on Bitcoin too. They're just playing catch up, right? So if Bitcoin, um, if people build stuff on there and it catches up and importantly, beyond the narrative of Michael Saylor, because I think that's one big part. They've got a bulletproof narrative in that regard. 
they've also got uh, bitcoin also has incredible you know the biggest network of decentralized money and security that is in his favor i would love if everything was built on bitcoin but it isn't today and and in five ten years we're going to see how it play out i my personal opinion is ethereum has a huge head start but there's other use cases that people are optimizing for and they they're able to go and actually do the work build something and attract people to use it so as much as there's all this speculative stuff, there's actually real stuff being used. Like Terra is a really good example. We need to do a whole episode on this. There's real, like if you go to, I think it's in Korea, like there's millions of transactions being done on the Terra blockchain that people don't even know they're using yeah. the Terra blockchain. It's all happening on the back end. So to me, the proof is in the pudding. If if that was the case for Bitcoin, there's no argument to be had. The reason people are getting their knickers in a twist here is because <laughs> it's this religious, as we've described before, religion with upside argument, and it gets emotional. And my hope for this podcast, as we continue to do this, and the people who listen to this, is to always try our best to be objective, not be maxis, not be, oh, I've got a biggest Ethereum bag, Bitcoin bag, therefore that's my team. It's like, no, what? Like we're just trying to explore ideas and it feels like most of this stuff just becomes a big jar rule versus 50 cent war. And I'm like, no, no, we just want a Joe Rogan experience right now. So yeah, that was the only thing great. I went to add. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was beautiful. That's great. <laughs> and the, the irony of this whole thing is, is Dorsey built the technology that is driving the takes in polar opposite directions. Yep. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's a good point. Which is why he bounced. He's like, I now I, I got to be a player in this game. I can't be the guy overseeing the field anymore. But uh, actually, so one thought was, uh, well, first of all, Bilal, so two thoughts. First thought was Bilal's pivot to DeFi is right up there with Jack moving into NFTs. Like that was like Jack's pivot to NFTs in early 2021 is being mirrored by Bilal's pivot to DeFi <laughs> in late 2021. So that's number one. Uh, the second thought I had, I think uh, uh, Jack Butcher had a thought. I don't want to mix up the two Jacks here. Um, was let me just summarize for the listeners where we're at now. All right. So I think this is what we've discussed. Jack Dorsey, former Twitter CEO and co-founder, and now the CEO of Block, which is a blockchain payments company, was triggered over the weekend. Uh, this is, would be the weekend of the 18th by a Wall Street Journal article that made him the face of Web3. All right, so what's the problem with Web3? Jack Dorsey wants nothing to do with the phrase Web3. He thinks it's a distraction that is being appropriated by venture capitalists, uh, probably with his eyes on Andreessen because of how prominent Andreessen is in this space. He thinks they're appropriating the term, appropriating the ideas and ethos and wrapping it within basically owning it for their financial benefit. I'm not saying that's what's happening. That's Jack Dorsey's view. So he comes out firing on Twitter. I believe it was on Monday and basically says, I want nothing to do with Web3, right? It's all VCs and LPs. Keep my name, keep my name on, keep my name out your mouth, right? Like that's his position. Like, don't say my name, son. And, uh, and then that started triggering all these other people, which they attacked him uh, for being the founder, co-founder of Twitter, which was a centralized corporation. And Jack's kind of rebuttal to that has been, well, actually, I learned a lot of lessons from that experience. He says it. He's like, I learned a lot. and I don't want it to happen again. His other thing being, you know, I also launched Blue Sky, which is a decentralized protocol. And when somebody asked, uh, what are the odds that will happen now that you left the CEO? He said, it will ship. 
So he did say that. So that's a Twitter argument. And then the other part of it is uh, to Jack R. Jack Butcher's initial framing of it. There's just a lot of semantics and like misunderstanding and people talking over each other, right? But at the end of the day, I think what Jack Dorsey wants, what he cares about as a Bitcoin maxi is let's get the decentralized layer of digital currency for the internet secure. Let's work on that before we're distracted by all this other stuff that the VCs are kind of pushing on us. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, good. No, great summary. Um, And I think it links us into the next kind of talking point here, which is kind of about like all of this stuff is about design of incentives, right? A lot lot of it is uh, related to that anyway. So something that's been coming up that's related to this is tokens versus equity and the migration of Silicon Valley talent or big tech talent seeing crypto as their next big phase i'll put myself in that like i came from big tech if you will i hate that phrase but like from that world took a little break for a while and now i'm not really working it full time but it's some it's probably what i spend most of my professional time focused learning learning about and we obviously have this podcast which half of what we talk about is that as well and just speaking to friends who you know been at places like google and facebook you know linkedin Amazon for a long time, slowly, slowly, they, they either like getting uh, interested in it or like really going down a rabbit hole. Like um, I won't call out his name just in case, but one of my best friends who we reference on the podcast quite a lot, um, he's like way down the rabbit hole and he's just <laughs> like texting me about it constantly and, and he knows more about this stuff than I do. So I, I guess the question is, this is two parts. One is about the talent and the first part really I'd like to cover is the uh, honest discussion about the pros and cons of tokens versus equity. Uh, and just to frame that, just to paint a picture for people who left a company, or sorry, uh, went to a company, whether that's a startup or a big company, a big part of your package is equity a lot of the time, especially for yeah. tech companies. So if you're at big tech, you know, a lot, maybe like 30 to 50% of your salary of your overall compensation might be from equity, especially when you get to, to like a serious level. And then if you go to a, a startup traditionally over the last 10 years, that was the big incentive. They can't pay you more than big tech most of the time, but they'll say, look, here's an early part of the company. One day this might be worth something. Yeah. And the problem with that has been most of the time, 90% of the time it's worth nothing, right? And it's not liquid. And contrasting that, we've got this new scenario, which is people can create a token, create a a DAO, like whatever it is, and raise money directly. And the thing is, they now have this token, which they can go into Uniswap or wherever and trade it, basically. Um, Whereas previously, it was locked in for many years. So there's kind of like pros and cons of that. So why don't we tackle that one first? Um, I know, Jack, you had been... So talking to us about this a little bit about like incentives and you might have had an opinion on this but kick it over to you guys we've referenced it a bunch of times and i think it's also like a nascent behavior in the same way that like stock options is like a a very widely understood thing at this point when somebody came up with that idea i don't know when it would have been the 90s or something people like what you're going to pay me with like a piece of paper that says you owe me a piece of this company that's a crazy concept right and if you had a if you had the ability to evaluate that in real time yeah 
then you would have made very different decisions with your life. And right? open Every, up like, Robinhood to sell it or something yeah. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Like all of us have probably worked at businesses that have not done incredibly well at a certain point in time. And like the psychology that comes with having a like instant feedback loop of like your position fluctuating is not something that a lot of people had to deal with when some of the most valuable businesses on the planet have been getting built, right? Like if you like Apple, Netflix, whoever else has gone through these like huge troughs. And if that was like plotted on a, a graph for everybody that was working there in real time, they might've started looking elsewhere, right? Like, Oh shit. Yeah. But if you're, you have a five year vesting period or whatever, and the, the switching cost is really high, then you button down and, and do it. And for some people, maybe the belief outweighs that, right? I'm not trying to say that everybody is just like this money hungry, like chart refreshing nutcase, but it happens, <laughs> right? I think people, I think the culture of it all now is really fascinating that people are, one, there's a, an incredible amount of transparency into like what someone's P&L is, how, how smart of a trader they are. And that also comes down to like, how smart you are allocating your time and your talent. And everybody's thinking about that in way shorter feedback loops. So you might end up with more committed talent if they are immune to the short-term price movements, right? If someone can look past that and like hold through those periods of extreme volatility in the same way that like people who believed in Bitcoin in 2013 and were able to, you know, ride it all the way up till today. It's like, you have a fundamental, like almost foundational belief in the business you're working at. But in like culture more widely, I don't think everybody taking a job is a zealot at that level, right? Especially yeah. people that like gave up maybe like pursuing a passion to go and work on like a button at Google or like a, you know, a feature within the like, event section of facebook like that's not somebody pursuing their passion it's like i'm gonna put my head down i'm gonna do my vesting period i'm gonna set my family up for a few generations and you know more power to them it's great i think everything in this crypto landscape is like more volatile by definition and maybe you could even say the world is more volatile by definition so it's like really not a uh, surprising development that people are willing to take bets, make jumps, like, oh, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go and do it for another crypto protocol that's going to go a thousand X overnight, right? So I think that's like some of people's frustration with this as well is like, it's not just employees that have that optionality, it's investors too. Like the A16s of the world can, I mean, you can really, really manipulate things if you have live markets and you have distribution and everybody knows, yeah. everybody can see what's happening. So it's like, oh, Andreessen just bought 20% of this token supply. And then how many people follow that move because of, you know, it's it's a signal of belief and then who gets out where. Uh, it's a really like, And similarly on thing. the flip side, right, Jack, when people sell, it's a signal. The same way we've we talked a few exactly. episodes ago about Elon selling and what does that mean? Right, right. And uh, just one thing to add to what you're saying there. To, if you look at like the best companies, how they were built over a long period of time, well, first of all, they were normally built over a long period of time if they sustained. And that required you to essentially, to use a better phrase, uh, uh, in like, maybe there's a better phrase to use here, but to hodl your equity, basically, right? Yeah. Like we say hodl in crypto, but if you're 
you know, uh, I think uh, Tesla is actually a really great example because at one point they were in such a fragile point where if people, the public could just basically sell their stock um, or like, let's say, uh, employees or people that had that much on publicly, that would signal to the market a very bad, bad thing. And it needed that early kind of period for people to weather through that and actually build on those promises that they'd set to the market. And again, I don't know that it, I don't remember the full history of that. Maybe they were already public by that point. Um, but my point is, like, generally speaking, to make something work, you need to think very long term and yeah. your incentives can't be dragging you every other day. I already think going public messes with a lot of founders, right? Like every three months they need to report and the CFO's in the air and they're like, we're going to get hit because of this. We need to do a stock buyback. We need to do X, Y, Z. And, and to me, that's crypto by every day. So like if you've got a token that's liquid, you it multiplies it. And it, it kind of ties in with what we talked about before about DAOs. Like we're generally fans of DAOs. Like there's great use cases for it, but... Again, back to that golden question, when DAO, when not DAO. So yeah. like we don't like always need to have a DAO in the same way we don't always need a blockchain. And I think um, we're seeing it here as well. Like sometimes the token can be a huge incentive. And I actually think it ties in with that second part where Silicon Valley talent or you know startups, especially, I have a friend who worked at Microsoft, McKinsey, and all these big like kind of startups uh, now at Facebook. And in between, he went to a crypto project and was able to sell stuff basically straight away, got paid in that coin. And right? bounced. So, and bounced, yeah. And so it's just those sort of um, scenarios are great, but also there's a lot of downside in... Especially let, me, a, let me actually yeah, cheese out because I think you, you guys both nailed it. I think, Jack, you basically summarized that New York Times article, the main thrust of it. So the thrust of the, 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 the headline of the article was like, people are leaving big tech to go to crypto. And the big takeaway for me was exactly as you mentioned, is like one motivation, we're not going to say the only one, one motivation was you're instantly liquid. You get these tokens, you can move it. You don't have to go on these vesting schedules, which are four or five years. And some of them, even in big tech now, like you'll get liquid stock, but if you go work at Amazon, they backdate all their equity. So you get 10% in the first year, 20% in the second year, 30% in the third year, then the rest in the fourth year. So like, you're still incentivized to stay a long time, right? Even with public equity. Uh, Bilal, were you 25% a year at Google? Yeah, was I that... think it was 25 every okay. year for four years, but then yeah. you would get like refreshers. Yeah, yeah, the keep but you basically in the loop. Every, yeah, if you've been there long enough, every few months you're getting a new refresher. So, but, but the, I guess the point is they incentivize you to stay. That's yeah. the whole point. Well, right? I, I, I want to talk to you because you, you nailed the blouse. So I worked at a... I worked at a fintech startup. We got acquired by 600 for $600 million by S&P Global. But everything you guys described happened during that journey. I can be very honest with you. With a year within me joining that firm, I was already thinking about what are my options to sell this equity? It's like, where can I go? Like, there's there's like Equity Zen and some other places where you can- you That's secondary sales yeah, or something, you right? You do secondary sales, but like, I mean, you get whacked by everything, right? You get a discount because it's a private sale. You got to set up all the legal stuff. And and you're, and you touch on it, you're underpaid relative to the rest of the market, right? Like I took a haircut on my base salary just for this equity upside, which thankfully paid off in the end. But like I was there for four years, the entire time. I was thinking, how can I get rid of this equity so I yeah. can leave, right? And what's funny was like, we were a, a, a data analytics company for the fintech uh, sector. 
and we knew our exits. Like every day, the conversations are you're just slacking with your uh, teammates, being like, okay, who can actually buy us? We're never going to go public. So all you're thinking about is what are they like the acquisition the acquirers? And we had we were like came down and we had three people that could acquire us, right? And we're like there and and then everything you described in the day to day, it's pretty dark. Like you go through dark periods at these startups where you're like you want to hang around for the payout because the other part of it is options are set up that are very painful for employees. If you leave a company and you exercise the options, you have to pay a fat tax bill. It's called uh, uh, something minimum tax. I forget, AMT is the name of it. And, and basically, you have to pay a fat tax with no guarantee you're going to get a payout at the end, right? So your decision is basically to like not exercise the options. So you just threw away two years of work or exercise the options, take a fat tax bill and maybe not get paid out. So basically from year one through year four, every one of my coworkers at this company were just like, wait, what's the play here? Like, what do we do? And so one thing that happens with a lot of uh, startups now is like they'll extend the window. You can exercise options. So you don't have to be put to that decision. But all this comes back to the crypto play. You don't have to worry about any of that with crypto. You jump in with a token that's instantly liquid. And uh, the last thing I'll add is uh, it does change the incentive so much, right? It's like, man, you can just jump from project to project to project. You don't have to be zealot anymore. And that is a negative in my eyes. There's negatives on both sides, but that is a negative where like you just make a killing in one year and you bounce to the next project. So there's like... Man, it's both sides of it, right? There's a. I think there's beyond the employees, though, and thanks for sharing that, Trang. But I think beyond the employees, though, it's like the founders and the investors. So for me, like they're the ones normally who hold the biggest chunks yeah. of, of 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 the cap table or whatever. So in this case, uh, obviously not talking about public companies like private. And um, and you brought up a great point there. Like so many of these traditional like Silicon Valley startups have been built to be acquired or go public. Some of them will never be profitable in their lifetime, Ever. even when they go public, as we've seen from a few recent examples. And it's interesting um, where, you, where you move to this model, I wonder if that changes things even more so because then it's no longer about, it's no longer just about profitability and showing the market like your, your numbers every three months. It's about like becoming the meme or yeah. when I say literally meme, I don't mean just a meme stock or a meme token. I mean the meme, like how much do people believe in you? And the that hype, changes the hype, right? the hype. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there, then it comes back to the incentives. Like are your incentives just to manipulate the market and make sure everyone, uh, you know, everyone hires the best Michael Saylor impersonator and like has the best, <laughs> like, you know, um, spokesperson in the corner to explain that to everyone. Um, of course, that's like the case with all companies. You always have PR and marketing teams for that reason. But I, I don't know. I, I just think overall for the employee, I, I love it. I think that like people really got screwed a lot of the time going to startups and they they never got the yep. money they thought and they were kind of promised. And, and you know, you know, going in that it's not guaranteed, but it's kind of positioned a lot of the time as this is part of your conversation. Yeah. And um, so I love that. But at the same time, I think long-term for the space to thrive, there needs to be, it can, maybe the tokens just need to evolve again and it needs to have those forced lock-ins for a certain period of time or there needs to be more rules around what founders, investors of projects um, can, can do with that as well. Because 
to make stuff valuable long term, you need long term thinking. Essentially, is kind of what I'm trying to say. Yep. So or the uh, the Jack Dorsey perspective on that is uh, just build it all on Bitcoin. If you have a standard unit of account, right? If you have a standard measure of value, then that changes like the the token. And this is, I think, the Bitcoin argument is like that's where the Ponzi nomics come from. Is like these crazy denominations of like fifteen billion liquidity put or fifteen trillion of these tokens exist, and there's just like this crazy arbitrage opportunity because. I mean, it's almost like forex, like forex trading plus memes. You have yeah. like this weird arbitrage in in two directions or three different layers of arbitrage versus like, hey, we're building this product on Bitcoin, and this is the value it's creating in Bitcoin. What like, what would someone be prepared to invest as an allocation of their portfolio against that? Versus like, we're betting on. A very different thing right we're betting on like the longevity of the meme or um the like and, and i think that could still occur with a standard unit of account but maybe that's the argument is like you're kind of diluting all of this stuff and just distraction is i think the word that jack dorsey used where it's yep. like we're not like axie infinity we talked about this on a uh like why wouldn't axie infinity work denominated in a Bitcoin, for example, right? Like if that was denominated in a currency that is like, hasn't, I don't know. It's harder to move uh, essentially, right? It's like, there's enough here. I think, I think a point that uh, Jack could bring up is like, if you look at uh, some of the criticism around a lot of these new coins and tokens is like, there's a pre-mine, right? And like mm. you, the VCs and get unlimited supply, basically. Yeah, like, unlimited yeah. supply. So it's like, there is no discipline on, I mean, the, the entire existence of Bitcoin is to instill exactly discipline right. in these monetary markets, right? And like when you're doing all these new projects, where does the discipline come from? And the reason why it's resilient, it goes back to the Dorsey-Michael Saylor point. It's like, why is Bitcoin resilient, right? It's because it survived the test. Every single day, hundreds of millions of dollars of hackers, I don't know, hundreds of millions of like the best hackers in the world are trying to break this network, right? And they haven't for 13 years now. And they're fully incentivized to do it. Everyone is fully incentivized to try to break Bitcoin, right? It is the greatest bounty ever. And it's just every day it doesn't happen. And it gets stronger and stronger, which isn't to say it won't happen, right? It's not impossible. But it's like every day it doesn't happen, the Lindy effect kicks in. What is Lindy about all these new projects? You spin up a token project. Literally, the, the joke with NIA DAO is this. I, I joke about it. I think about it all the time. If we spun up an NIA DAO, Listen, I'm not going to try to screw the whole bag holders of the DAO, but if there's a non-zero chance something shady might happen, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with it, right? It's yeah. like completely out of your control. And like, uh, what? there's just, where's the discipline come from? The Bitcoin has the discipline, right? There's everything about it. It just has it built in. It's lasted the longest. It has the immaculate conception, right? Satoshi is nowhere. He owns 20% of the supply. He's just freaking nowhere to be found, right? And all the developer and mindshare and the memes been built into it. All these new coins, all these new tokens are a distraction. And they, they bring up the point that Jack, uh, Arb Jack said. It's like the Ponzi-nomics of it, right? It just looks awful when these things happen. It's just like everybody lose faith in the decentralized world when you're seeing these things that are decentralized, but they're really just freaking Ponzi schemes rugging people left, right, and center. 
And I mean, it yeah. comes to the territory with anything new and exciting and any technological shift, but it doesn't mean that it's okay or it doesn't make people lose confidence. I think that's, that's probably the Dorsey's thing is like, it's all distraction is making decentralized look like a shitty word. And it's not going to put faith for anybody that believes that Bitcoin or any future decentralized currency is the answer. Yeah. And, well, uh, the, yeah. like the, the, one of the big, uh, like, maximalist talking points is the bitcoin not crypto you know if anybody uses yeah. the word crypto it's like no it's bitcoin not crypto like big and like you want to go down the route of all of like you try and go down the first principles route and get to like i think one of the most compelling arguments i ever heard for bitcoin is it's like this um it's like it sucks in all of the like wealth like it, it's a yeah it's an apex. apex asset over time, it just sucks in all of the value in the world, right? Everything yeah. just slowly gets more and more denominated in Bitcoin. And then if that if that uh, entire network is, a, is big enough to represent a large chunk of the world's energy and resources, then yeah. why would, if you believe in the thing you're building, why would you not map it to that unit of yeah. measure? The truth is because you're not going to get a thousand x return because yep. the 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 price of the token is like point zero 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 two four eight Shiba coin. The internet we've just kind of lost control of it all. And to say like to say that there's going to be one day where everybody's like, okay, now we're using Bitcoin now. All the others, it's just nonsense, right? That's just not going to happen. And like all of these like things are going to exist. It's going to be boom bust, boom bust, boom bust in like shorter and shorter, shorter windows of compression. And I'm not like technically minded enough to discuss the uh, like the bull case for Ethereum versus Bitcoin as like a store of value. I don't even know where to begin like that debate. But even if all of these things were denominated in Ethereum, let's say, then it would give you some concept of like comparative value. Yeah. Like in the same way you look at two like the market cap. Well, market caps maybe a bad like earnings maybe is a is a better idea for like the value a company produces but we're like we're in like memeonomics territory now maybe there is no going back right like maybe the instrument of bitcoin is like makes more sense in a world where like you're i don't know you're not able to like create financial instruments out of thin air because there's such a massive arbitrage opportunity for people doing that. Like there, there's always going to be the human desire to make an outsized return in a short amount of time. And this, <laughs> this like methodology for doing that seems to be like crack. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like the, the 2017 ICO thing is there's a lot, a lot of similarities, right? It's uh, it just feels to me like the, the cycles of compressed. Um, the only thing I was going to add to what you two said, I definitely agree with everything you said. The only counterpoint to why, let's say Axie Infinity, I think one of you two mentioned, wouldn't use ETH or Bitcoin in this case as a denominator or basically the, the token or whatever is being used within their, within their game. It comes back to that earlier point of things that everything is optimizing for something else for for a particular thing and it's very difficult to optimize for everything so bitcoin is optimized for decentralization and security solana is um is uh optimized for speed and low transaction volume ethereum is built for 
the world's big supercomputer, distributed supercomputer, plus some layer of decentralization. So with with uh, Axie Infinity, they have their own wallet. It's like Ronan wallet or something. And I use that all the time because I stake... Um, like I've got this AXS token I've had for ages and I just stake it there because they, they pay you basically. And I can go in and restake stuff with zero fees, which if I was doing that on Ethereum or on Bitcoin, I couldn't do that, right? Because it would cost too much. It wouldn't be worth me doing. So I just think it comes back to, again, like that design and the the reason there, what they're optimizing towards. So, uh, but I definitely agree. Like if you look at everything as an investment, like even for personal, my own personal kind of like money, I use a tool where I can switch between looking at my net worth essentially in dollars and Bitcoin and Ethereum, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I do that just for jokes mainly, but also because like when everything is up in the world, I need to like at least have another viewpoint you to be like, oh, anchor, what's this? Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, oh, what's this in in Bitcoin now, or what's this in gold, or whatever you want to use as your like, anchor anchoring point. Um, yeah, just that was the only thing I wanted to add. Um, I know we we could probably wrap this section up. That was a really good discussion. Anything else before we move on to the last part of worst prediction, boys? No, Jack just tweeted. This is a live reaction here, boys. Hang on. <laughs> he said, "I'm officially banned from Web 3 <laughs> well, blocked by Mark Andreessen." <laughs> Oh, I can't see. That's hilarious. All right. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel like, yeah, they've got some, some, uh, beef. They need to chat, chat it through. Yeah, um, there we go, man. Wow. That got, I mean, Mark, P Marka banning Dorsey. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's crazy, dude. His account will uh, be gone by next week. Yeah. Um, is P Mark the 50 what? cent or, or jar rule of web three? <laughs> let's, let's, let's wrap that up. <laughs> I mean, really, the biggest troll has got to be... I feel like Jack Dorsey is probably being more 50 Cent right now. He's being a bit more of a troll. He's calling people out. He's He feels untouchable. He's been shot nine times, He's got the chest out, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's ready. Why would, why would Dorsey... I mean, that, uh, yeah, they need to get on... A, he needs to get on Clubhouse with... Uh, with uh, yeah. uh, Andreessen and uh, Main Horowitz. event right there, yeah. Smackdown. Yeah. All right, we can, we can wrap this up now. Um, I think we're going to do the worst predictions another time, maybe next week. Uh, but Trung, Jack, any last words before we wrap this up? I uh, I didn't get a chance to bookend. Well, I'll bookend this episode with another Hawaii story for you guys. But uh, well, it'll be like uh, me in the car with the laptop doing the uh, front seat fan. <laughs> I want to talk about front Senator Daniel... Fan. Yeah. So this is a live front seat fan, but this time with Bilal and Jack. Uh, so front seat fan, this episode will be about Senator Daniel Inouye, uh, passed away 2012. He is the highest ranking Asian American U.S. politician ever. Uh, in 2012, when he passed away, he was third in line to be president. So it was after vice president, speaker of the house. He was the eldest member of the Senate. So when you leave and enter Honolulu, uh, the airport is Daniel Inouye Airport. And I think this is a good contrast to all this Twitter beef that we're talking about. Because Daniel Inouye was a World War II hero. He lost his arm fighting in Europe as a Asian, uh, as a Japanese American teen. So all this like, you know, Twitter fingers, like beefing on the internet, it's a joke compared to what this guy went to. So I'm going to tell you a story about Daniel Inouye. I think everybody should read up on him because he's a true legend. So when Pearl Harbor, the Pearl Harbor attack on December 7th, 1941 happened, 
the instant U.S. response was Japanese Americans are now enemies of the state. So if you remember, uh, they a lot of them on the mainland were rounded up and sent to basically camps because they were considered enemies of America. So Daniel Inouye was Japanese American living in Honolulu. He petitioned along with his friends, the U.S. government, to let him fight for America to prove that he was not an enemy of America. He's like, I'm born, I'm American. Uh, even though uh, Hawaii didn't become a state till 1959, he wanted to prove that he was an American and loyal to the uh, and patriotic. So in 1945, he went, uh, he, 1943, he went to fight with an all Japanese uh, uh, American group. They became legendary. I think it's the most decorated military group ever. So two weeks before the end of the war, he is in Italy. This story is insane. I'm gonna have to read to you what happened to him when he lost his arm. This is one of the most like, all right, this is, uh, here he goes. All right, I'm reading this because it's insane. Daniel Anoyi, 20 years old, I think at this time. Anoyi's platoon was pinned down by three machine guns. Although he was shot in the stomach, he ran forward and destroyed one emplacement with a hand grenade and another with a submachine gun. He was crawling toward the third when an enemy fire nearly severed his right arm, leaving a grenade in it. He took his left hand, pulled the grenade out of his severed right arm, and threw it into the encampment. Bro, think about this. You see Jack and I's face right now? <laughs> He's is, uh, shot in the stomach. His arm is almost fully off, and there's a grenade in it. He pulls the grenade out and throws it into the encampment and takes out a couple of Germans. And ends up getting the arms uh, amputated. Um, he wanted to be a surgeon growing up. Could no longer be a surgeon, right? So he goes back to Hawaii, an absolute war hero. But even at the time, he wasn't given the, uh, the Medal of Honor, which is the highest uh, the, uh, achievement for a, a military battle because America was still a racist society toward Japanese Americans. Think about how insane that is. In 1959, when Hawaii became a state and officially a state, he was elected to Congress, total war hero from the state of Hawaii. He would spend the next 50 years in Congress, uh, 48 years as a senator, and he spoke. He was the he was a keynote at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Many thought that he would one day become vice president or maybe president. He was the most notable members at the Watergate hearings when he basically, you know, the Watergate hearing for Richard Nixon and then the Iran-Contra scandal in 1987, he was basically the head interrogator of the people that were being put uh, to task for doing ills against the U.S. Constitution. But anyways, the whole reason I bring it up is uh, he's somebody worth knowing. And, and, and you know what? Uh, we spend a lot of time here talking about funny internet stuff and, uh, and you know, Web3 and, and big tech. But our generation, and we do get chirped on it, but this is what we're talking about, right? It's like the 40s, what real sacrifice means. Daniel Noe, complete legend. So that's my Hawaii story. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, now, obviously, all this Twitter beef is absolutely, to call it a beef is is a joke, but like yeah. absolutely ridiculous to call any of this beef. But no, man, RIP to a, sounds like a legend, but uh, absolute legend. nice little fun fact fan to close it out. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed that. And thanks for being here all year. This has been an amazing time for us all. This, what is it? 37, 38 episodes we've recorded. Yeah. Something that started as a potential fun side project. We've been, 
you know, loving doing it every week and uh, connecting with so many of you guys. So thanks again for all the support. If you do want to, uh, you know, big us up, share this on social media, tag us, let us know what you think. Uh, comment, subscribe on YouTube. And actually, Spotify has just launched a review uh, section now. So if you search for Not Investment Advice on Spotify, right at the top, there's like a star rating system. You don't even have to write anything. You just press the button. Obviously, hit five stars, but hit whatever stars you want. <laughs> and uh, let us know. Join the Telegram group as always. And we got some big plans for 2022. So thanks for rocking with us, guys, all year. We've loved it. And we will see you in the next one. Yeah, Happy New Year. This is a Happy, happy, happy New, New Year, Year, everyone. Cheers. <laughs>